Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, girl? Grab my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas Studios. If someone daily wrote or tweeted about me and this show, I would read everything about it. This is the press box. Would Derek you feel Carter. disrespected though? Yeah. Oh yeah, depends on, depends on depends on who. With Grady and Bischoff. Hold on, Jared's disappointed in you. I'm disappointed because Ed is not here today. Well, so what are the chances he's actually going to check in? Hi. Are we, we sure? We had a whole conversation about it. Yeah, and that ended with him having to find a spot to talk. Ed is at Raiders camp today. I mean, come on, man. I have very little faith. Don't. I have very little faith, but hopefully Ed Graney will talk to us at 745 and 915 today. But in the meantime, the Golden Knights are three wins away from the Stanley Cup final. The first bite. Does Montreal have any chance of winning this series? All right. So first thing, there is a pretty strong parallel to the Colorado series after game one. So the Golden Knights beat Montreal four to one. Go back to the Colorado series. The Avalanche beat the Golden Knights seven to one. It was scoreboard wise two blowout games in game one where everybody looked around and said, yeah, the better team won that game and the better team won that game by a significant margin. But in the Golden Knights lost to Colorado back in game one, if you look at expected goals at five on five, it was 1.27 for Colorado and 1.25 for the Golden Knights at five on five. That game was very even as far as a shots and chances game go. At five on five in game one last night, Montreal actually had a slightly better expected goals. 1.94 to 1.90 in that game. Again, just like that first game against Colorado, the five on five shots and the five on five chances were essentially even. I think if there's anything we've learned from the playoffs, it's that game one is a terrible way to expect the rest of the series to go. Like when you watch game one, obviously it matters because you win a game in the series, but it's not a very good barometer for how the rest of the series is going to play out. So yes, the golden Knights ended up blowing out Montreal last night, but that doesn't mean the rest of the series is going to be a blowout that way. Game one was interesting because the final score does match what we've expected the series to be. The golden Knights are a better team than the Montreal Canadians, right? That's what we expect to happen. I don't think many people expect this series to even go very long because the Golden Knights are better than the Canadians. But we did see, for a period, Montreal dominate the game. The first period, Montreal had seven high-danger chances to the Golden Knights' one. The expected goals after one period was 1.67 to 0.33 in favor of Montreal. The actual score was one to nothing in favor of Vegas because, as you know, hockey is dumb. But if that first period happens again and again, Montreal's got an actual chance to win this series. If they can play that period in every game the rest of the way, like they're probably going to come out on top in those periods. They'll probably have a two-goal lead if they do that again in game two rather than be trailing by one. So if Montreal can do that again, 
they have a legitimate chance to win this series. But the way the Golden Knights responded is pretty incredible because at five on five, so Montreal has seven high danger chances in the first period. They had zero high danger chances at five on five the rest of the game. They had some on the power play, and there was a lot of power play and penalty kill time in that game. And they had some with the empty net at the end. But ultimately, at five on five after that first period, Montreal created basically nothing. And the Golden Knights went from having one high danger chance of five on five in the first period to nine in the last two periods. I expect that to be closer to reality. I expect that to be what the rest of this series looks like. It's closer to the second and third periods and not as close to the first period, right? I don't think it'll be as drastic the rest of the way, either of those sets of periods, but I do think the Golden Knights are the better team. I do think game one is a little bit more of reality than that Colorado series was, but it is still something to be worrisome about because we saw game one in that Colorado series, and it meant absolutely nothing because after that, even game two, the Golden Knights had an expected goals edge for the rest of that series. So Vegas is better than Montreal, but we did get a little bit of a glimpse of what Montreal can do to Vegas. And if that happens again, again, even just for one period in any of the rest of the games, Montreal is going to have a really good chance to win that game because more often than not, they'll actually have a lead and not be trailing after that period. So does Montreal have any chance of winning the series? Come on. Like there's like a 10% chance they win the series, but it does. I mean, it exists. Hey, and they played a lot of Canadian teams to get here. <laughs> they did play a lot of Canadian teams and only Canadian teams. So like, I, I think they do have a chance simply because we did see it. We saw something in that game where you can say, oh yeah, Montreal plays like that again. They can win games. They can actually win the series. But we also saw two periods of the Golden Knights shutting them down. Am I the only one that's thinking just like, Start litter for the rest of this series so that way Flurry can, you know, just get some time to himself. Does Flurry need time to himself? I don't know. But we could give it to him. All we hear about Flurry is that he's better when he always plays. At least that's what Flurry says. I don't know if it's statistically <laughs> accurate or not. His best season has come when he's got a really good backup. <laughs> and he's only played, well, he had to play like 20 in a row, but only played half the games for half the season. Yeah. I mean, you could realistically give Robin Leonard two, three games in this series and be fine. I mean, honestly, you could give Jared Justice a couple <laughs> games in this series and they should be fine. But again, that's I'm probably a meat bag. That's how the Avalanche thought after game one of last series, and it didn't actually turn out that way. Another thing on this game is Shay Theodore scoring his first goal of the playoffs, which is it's kind of incredible because Shay Theodore three. was the leading scorer on the team by points last season in the playoffs. Like there was a point in time in that Vancouver series where it was, Oh, Shea Theodore's going to have to score or create the offense for the golden Knights, or they're not going to beat Thatcher Demko. And the golden <laughs> yeah. Knights have gotten through two playoff rounds. Like it's amazing. They got through Minnesota in seven and Colorado in six, 13 games against two good teams. They advanced in both series and did not get a single goal from Shea Theodore and only got one from Alex Petrangelo, too. They got one goal combined from those two and advanced through both those series. That's kind of incredible. Now, what was more important on Shea Theodore, though, wasn't really the goal because Shea Theodore scores, but it's a shot from the blue line with traffic in front that found its way past Carey Price. It wasn't like this terrific play that Shea Theodore made. That's something the Golden Knights do every single game, almost to a fault. They launch shots from the point. It boosts their Corsi numbers, 
but they're low percentage chances. And it's honestly a little bit of a surprise. One of those hasn't gone in for Shea Theodore already in the playoffs because he shoots them enough, but that's not really like, there's nothing about the Shea Theodore goal. That's really all that special. Maybe they got traffic in front of Carey Price and confused him as to where the hell the puck was, but not really Shea Theodore doing anything. He just sort of launched a wrist shot from the blue line. What was more impressive was his assist because he and Alec Martinez managed to get a two on O in while well, they're set up in the offensive zone. Cause all the Canadians were in the same corner for some reason, but Theodore gets the puck in the high slot and has enough time to fake a shot, get Carey price completely out of position and then dump it off to Alec Martinez, who was able to score fairly easily. Cause Carey price was so far out of position. Like, Rarely do you have that much time to where you can shot fake and pass to a teammate who then can also take a shot without anybody on the other team, like making a play on the puck or making a play on the guy trying to pass or shoot the puck. But Shea Theodore and Alec Martinez did. And it's one of the better assists that you will actually see. What is interesting about the golden Knights though? They haven't gotten very much from Petrangelo and Theodore in terms of goals in the playoffs but they have from the rest of their defensemen because Alec Martinez scored last night. Nick Holden scored last night. The non like star defensemen on this team have been scoring. And if you look through the playoffs, Alec Martinez has three goals. Nick Holden has two and Zach Whitecloud and Nick Haig have one each. They have gotten in what? 14 playoff games, seven goals from defensemen, not named Alex Petrangelo or Shea Theodore seven in 14 games from guys that you don't even expect to score the entire playoff season, let alone in the first two rounds, seven goals in 14 games from the depth defenseman. If that keeps up, they're probably winning the Stanley cup because like Max Pacioretty and Jonathan Marsh. So are going to score some goals too, like at some point and Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangel will probably score a few more goals as well. And if you continue to get that type of scoring, where like Zach White Cloud's going to score a goal, where Alec Martinez is going to, what's he going to end up like number three on the team in goals at the end of the playoffs? Like you're going to win the Stanley Cup because that is fairly ridiculous goal scoring to get from guys that really aren't even on the team to score goals. Like they didn't trade for Alec Martinez last year to to come in and score goals for him. He's a champion. Yeah, He's he a warrior. Won the Stanley Cup, scored a big goal to win the Stanley Cup too. But like that's not why they're here. But if He's you a get clutch that from him, scorer. apparently, yes, very clutch. But yeah, four one game. Who had the game winner last night? Oh yeah, wait. I'm forgetting the order of the goals now. No, no, it's not even that. It's it's which one's the game winner because the, yeah, whichever it, one was scored second goes down as the game winner. Okay, so it's the dumbest thing. It in, wouldn't in be hockey. all right. So it's not Jan Mark. It would would have been. Um, it would have been Martinez. Martinez. Yeah. Won, Alec hit the Martinez. Game. Yeah. So clutch goal. A clutch game winner from Alec yeah, Martinez. Yeah, all right. I hate this so much. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta, at some point we gotta, we gotta get Grimala on here to be like, oh God, <laughs> we do not need more of Grimala's bad takes about game winners and buzzer beaters. <laughs> Was this a buzzer beater? He scored it in the first period. Jesus. Mike Grimala thinks in basketball that if you make a shot that goes in and there's like less than a second on the clock that it still counts as a buzzer beater. And his logic is, well, if he had missed it, the clock would have run out. If there went, <laughs> if a rebound had occurred, the clock would have run out. If, if the result that happened did not happen, happened. it would have been a buzzer beater. All okay. right. Do we have a French goal call? Um, I can, I can, I can grab one. So yes. I don't know that I've ever heard a language that makes me more angry than French. 
because I feel like I'm being talked down to. It literally does not matter what's being said. I honestly have no idea what is being said. But I've never heard a language where everything that is said in that language, I feel like I'm being talked down to. So we're going to play French goal calls. Unfortunately, the Canadian Twitter account doesn't tweet out when the Golden Knights score because I want to hear the French goal calls for the Golden Knights. But we only have the Canadian. So here is Cole Caulfield's goal in French. Cole Caulfield. On envoie derrière à Gustafsson. La passe. Suzuki à l'embouchure. Dans l'enclave. Le tir au travers. Tire. Goal! No! Goal! <rire> Il l'a eu finalement. Oh, oui. Cole Caulfield, son premier en série, puis en avantage numérique. Et les Canadiens qui marquent une première fois dans ce match numéro 1. Écoute, <rire> je, comprends, je comprends ton indécision. Cole Caulfield. I now feel self-conscious about everything in life. Like they're making fun of something. I just don't know what it is. Have you ever heard a goal call like so subtle? Ah, goal. Well, he said no. I think he got confused. I think he's and called a goal. Said, well, maybe they were laughing at themselves. It doesn't sound like yeah, it's French. Yeah, no, they Do were they laughing laugh at, at themselves. Us. I don't know. We're going to play as many French goal calls as we can find because I, it's it's the worst. Like when, like in press conferences, they will let like French media ask questions to Marc-Andre Fleury or Jonathan Marshall because they're French-Canadian. And it's the worst. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying, but they are talking bad about my family. They are making fun of me somehow, some way, and I'm not sure how it is. But that's what it is. French goal calls. Not as good as Spanish goal calls. Not even close. Spanish, like foreign language goal calls, Spanish is at the top. French is at the bottom. Normally, when you hear another language call a goal or a home run, or like when the Super Bowl, there's like a million languages that broadcast Super Bowl, it's always like, oh, wow, that's better. We don't know what they're saying, but that sounds more exciting. French is the opposite. I mean, the best one I ever heard was the Luke Keekley interception by the Carolina Panthers Spanish broadcast where they just start screaming papaya, papaya. <laughs> was he called papaya? No. They, is that like a Spanish like, slang word for interception? No, it was just that the, the guys were like, uh, well, we we were used to calling soccer and so we're calling football and so sometimes you got to fill. So this is like when Jesus, who calls the Golden Knights games in Spanish, told us that uh, he says things like chopping vegetables in the corner because he had to make up slang terms for Spanish hockey. Correct. They don't exist. Yeah, okay. All right. So just he, yell. He, I mean, listen, if you're like the first person of your language to broadcast a sport, you kind of get to do whatever you want. Right. Just and, come up with fun words. Papaya is a fun word to say. And just yell it when things happen. It'll be known in that sport for the rest of time. Luke Keekley and Papayas. All right, coming up next, we'll get in the NBA. Not any, of the, not any of the games that happen, but Luka Doncic hating somebody that works for the Dallas Mavericks. Beverly has it at the midcourt logo. Clippers need a couple more buckets to help put this game away. George is open on the right wing, doesn't take the three. He'll dribble into a right wing three and buries it. Paul George on target once again. One stat I'm proud of, I never got swept in a four, seven-game series. Never. And you can't tell me you're a great player if you can't win one out of four games. I just don't believe that. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Wait, is that an accomplishment? Not getting swept? I, I guess, but like that's... I've never been swept in a uh, seven-game series either. So you know, me I mean, and Charles Barkley. That seems like 
very thin thread to hold on to. Like, Charles Barkley has actual accomplishments as a basketball player. Not getting swept in a seven-game series, I would not put on that list. Like, is that on the Hall of Fame plaque for Charles Barkley? Never, never swept. Never swept. And he also said seven-game series. Did he get swept in a five-game series? I, I, I mean, I think it's I'm going to have to like, assume he did. Yeah, I, I think in the 80s, basically all of the superstars of the 90s got swept <laughs> through the 80s by <laughs> Magic Johnson. Magic Johnson just basically went through and swept all of them. All right, I... I, I don't know what Charles Barkley's talking about there. I, that's a weird thing to even remember about yourself. Is, yeah, I never got swept. Suck on that. So, well, okay. But you're also, you got Shaq over there that's like, I got rings. I mean, yes. Did Shaq ever get swept? There's no way Shaq got swept, right? I'm trying to remember that Orlando team. You just threw it to him and he dunked it. Or you threw it to him, he got triple teamed, and he passed it out. And that guy became the the best three-point shooter in the NBA that season because he was like, nobody's around me. Take a couple dribbles, throw. All right. We'll get more into the Sixers, Hawks, and Jazz Clippers uh, coming up at 7.30 with Ron Weitzman, also in the front page at 8 o'clock. But there's a story in The Athletic about the Dallas Mavericks and Luka Doncic. I, I knew you. like as I put this in the rundown, and I was like, He's gonna he's gonna move this. So, all right. There's a guy on Twitter named Harlebob. And <laughs> he's a gambler. I don't actually know how to say his first name. It's Harlebo, I think. But his last name is Vulgaris. He goes by Harlebob on Twitter. He's a professional gambler, or at least he was. That's how I knew him. I was unaware the Dallas Mavericks hired him like three years ago. And he's been working for the Dallas Mavericks. They Mark Cuban hired a professional gambler, which sounds very much like something Mark, Mark Cuban, Cuban would, do. would do. And the reason he hired him, or at least the reason that Harlebob is, is uh, a successful gambler, is he basically, the way he says it, is he built like a model, an analytics model, to try to figure out who's going to win which games. And that's how he would place his bets, because he was... He was better at setting lines than sports books were. And he was supposedly a very successful gambler and probably rightfully. So Mark Cuban is an NBA owner said that's interesting. Like somebody is better at predicting games than Las Vegas sports books. I should hire that guy and figure out what he knows and put him, you know, let him make some decisions or help us make some decisions. The interesting part of the story though, is that Harlebob is described as a second general manager of the Dallas Mavericks that some people have said, yeah, when you're trying to deal with the Mavericks, you're not exactly sure who you're supposed to be talking to. And that's the interesting part here because I actually think that hiring this guy is probably a really smart thing to do. But the idea that he has as much control in the organization as the actual general manager is fascinating because it's here's, here's how it's described in here. Number one, he has a lot of input on who they acquire, right? Like which players that they want to put on that team. This guy has a lot of input. But the more bizarre part is the story says that Rick Carlisle, the head coach of the Dallas Mavericks, like takes lineup and rotation advice from Harlebop, which seems bizarre. And to a point where there are players that are like, all right, their playing time gets cut and they are 
they don't understand because they're doing what Rick Carlisle is asking them to do, but it's not Rick Carlisle that's apparently making the decisions. Now, important note here, Mark Cuban has come out and said it's laughable that they have a shadow GM, which is basically what was described here. So Mark Cuban has responded to this as basically denied that he has that much power in the organization. So here's, here's the part of it that I love. The idea of a gambler basically saying like, hey, I can I can do the general manager's job. Like, I can do that. I can run a team. It's almost like you, you take a guy who's good at fantasy football and you give him the GM job of an NFL team, right? It's kind of in that vein of, oh, I can do this. So I can, I can do it up for a real team as well. I love the idea of that. But the important part here that I haven't even mentioned yet is that Luka Doncic apparently doesn't like him. The Luka Doncic is not a fan of Harlebo Volcaris. And if that's it's the case, Bob. just call him Bob. Bob Harlebop. No, just call him Bob Volgaris. Volgaris. Yeah. Yes. He did. There are people in our audience right now. Well, okay. There my there are people in our audience who like know that name. He 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 is a very famous gambler. Okay. Yeah, I know. I didn't know he was working for the Mavericks. Yeah, no, that was that was definitely a shock no to me idea. too. That'd be like hiring you to be like UNLV's uh, special special assistant to the head coach. Yeah, yeah, be great. That's that is what it's like. Yeah, basically, except that. Come on, don't shoot that! I gotta cover the spread. Then that's the interesting part of that too: is they hire a professional gambler, and he's having all this impact on what team should be doing or what a team should be doing. Um, Gotta lose by five. But again, the important part here is not fouling. Isn't that Mark Cuban hired him? Honestly, it's not even that, that he has as much power that this story says that he has. That's probably fine too. It's that Luka Doncic reportedly doesn't like him. And if Luka Doncic doesn't like him, as much as I love the idea of professional gambler turned to fake no, GM, get, get the hell out. Yeah, you gotta fire that guy. If that's the case. Now, Luka Doncic is I think he's going to sign the Supermax with Dallas, which would lock him in there until he wants to leave. Well, nothing really locks NBA players in because they can just say they want to be traded and they end up getting traded because they actually have some power in that league. But if he signs the Supermax, if he signs the Supermax, you got to be feeling pretty good he's going to stay in Dallas for a while. But yeah, if Luka Doncic says at any point it's me or him, you're taking Luka Doncic. What's the quote from Mark Cuban? Was it last year? Yeah, it was last year that was, uh, if it came down to my or Luca, my wife better get ready with some divorce paper. Or no, I better call my divorce lawyer. <laughs> Which is the right decision. Like, it's a pretty good call. So it's it's a fascinating story of hiring a professional gambler and then Luka Doncic not liking him. And apparently other people in the organization not liking him either because, again, if the story's correct, he's basically acting and functioning as their general manager. Who, like, who would be the worst, like, guest general managers in the NBA? Like, I have to imagine, like... Magic Johnson? Didn't we already do that? <laughs> okay, all right, that's fair. I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, hiring Bill Simmons' dumbass to be in charge of the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, he probably couldn't have been worse than Magic Johnson, but yeah, probably wouldn't go very well. I would say they're, the, Magic Johnson at least knows basketball. You wouldn't know it by his tweets. Coming up next, <laughs> your own Weitzman joins the show. Gallinari guards Ben. Simmons to Seth Curry. 
Curry, top of the key, right hand dribble behind his back to Joel. Took a while to get out there, two bounces. Joel catches, fires, three ball, good. We stopped passing. You know, I thought that we started the game off that way. Then we got back in the ball movement. Then we went back to um, hero basketball. You know, basically everybody wanted to be the hero instead of just trusting the team, trusting each other. Um, so you, when you do that, you usually lose, especially when the other team outworks you the whole game. And that's what they did today. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Joining us now, your own Weitzman from Fox Sports covering the NBA. How are you this morning? I'm doing okay. What about you? I'm good. Um, I'm curious your thoughts before we get into the actual playoff games on the story out of Dallas about Bob Volgaris, the professional gambler turned shadow GM, and Luka Doncic apparently not liking him. Um, <laughs> my thoughts, so I, I have no... Um unique uh, or differentiate reporting on that, right? But I, I believe the uh, reporting on it, and it's, I mean, there's always reason not to, and I, I get a little frustrated when I see um, well, Mark Cuban, he, he basically did the fake news without calling it fake news thing, <laughs> right? And saying reporting is BS, and they didn't reach out when, I mean, maybe he's right, but there's what's a comment from him in the story. So I don't know how he can say they didn't reach out, and I get a little frustrated when, <laughs> not, not to go political, but like you have all these powerful people like Mark Cuban who are always talking about you know freedom of the press and how important it is and fake news is bad, and they make fun of Donald Trump and things like that until they're in the middle of their own story, and then they use some of the same language, right? Um, so that part's a little frustrating. The story, yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> it was definitely interesting. Um, I'm okay with the idea of bringing in, and I guess for those who don't know, right, he, he's Bob Bulgaris, is basically a, uh, a famous or maybe the most famous NBA gambler, right? Would that be the way to describe mm-hmm. him? Who uh, was hired by the Dat Mavericks a couple of years ago and has become, according to The Athletic, um, the shadow GM essentially there. Um, I think it's good having different perspectives and people with different expertise in the front office. If he is actually dictating um, substitution patterns and making draft calls and things like that, I think that is a huge mistake, right? You gotta, it's not that he's not qualified or he can't be qualified at any point, but I don't think a year and a half in the NBA front office where your whole experience before that is analyzing games by yourself, not in an organization, but as a individual gambler, um, that obviously you have some insight, but I just, that does not make you qualified to run an NBA team. It'll be interesting to watch and see how this plays out in relation to Luka Doncic and Porzingis, and they seem to have a number of uh, things up in the air over there. He can't be any worse than, like, Magic Johnson, though, right? <laughs> well, so, <laughs> but that's also a similar thing. But it, it, No, but yeah, like, it's it's a similar thing, right? So Magic Johnson, he didn't have, he was a, at least he had experience, he had played years in the NBA, been around the NBA for years, but he also did have front office experience the same way, right? Um, and that was one of the problems where you, it's there, there are different ways to have different expertise and all types of expertise should be welcomed and different and different viewpoints are great. And it, you don't have to have one specific it, to run an NBA team doesn't require a specific background, right? It doesn't mean you have to have been an assistant GM all before. It doesn't mean you have to have played the other coach or anything like that. Um, it's just that like you have to, you, you need to have some training on the ground beforehand before you actually take that mantle. All right, with the actual playoffs, I do want to start with the Nets because we've had you on before. We've talked about the Nets, and you had described Kyrie Irving as basically an insurance policy, that if one of Harden or Durant got hurt, you had Kyrie Irving. You still had at least that second star player. Who's the insurance policy when Kyrie gets hurt? Yeah, I mean, that's kind of, I think the bet when they did the big three is we'll always have two guys, right? And I think for them, I haven't talked to anyone about this, but I imagine for them the Harden thing is what's throwing them off, right? Because you know, James Harden, 
you know, anyone, no matter what your criticisms were over him, and I think most of them were overblown, he, he played. He always played. He was healthy. He played every game, and he could prop up and carry teams that were pretty, uh, from a talent level, were pretty low, right? Some of those Rockets teams, if you look at those rosters, that won 50 games or whatever. Um, so I'm assuming that they kind of thought, okay, well, we'll have, you know, we'll have James Harden. Um, he'll always be there. And then Durant or Kyrie will always be on the floor. And between the three of them, two of them are on, and that's really all we need. And Harden going down, and now we're seeing it. I mean, the Nets, they deserve credit because they still have depth. It's pretty incredible, right? You know, they've lost two of their three best players, and they still have guys who can think put on the floor. But um, it's, I mean, this has been one of the weirder series I can remember in recent years in terms of the swings of momentum and who looks like they're in a driver's seat and who looks like they could be headed for an off-season full of big questions. So what is what happens with the Nets here? It's James Harden's doubtful for Game 5. If it's just Kevin Durant, do they have any chance of actually winning two of the last three against the Bucs? Um, I'm done making predictions on this series. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess my prediction before the series was uh, Nets in seven, so maybe that will come out okay, right? Um, so, I mean, I think they're in trouble. Um, the weird part is that they're not scoring, right? Like, Milwaukee's not scoring either, and I think they can probably score... I think the Nets can probably score even with Justin Rankles off and Joe Harris and some of these other guys. Um, can they beat the Bucks two out of three without Harden and Kyrie? I'm, I'd be pretty um, dubious about that. Uh, what happened to Philadelphia's offense in the second half last night? Um, yeah, uh, indeed, for a mix of what, in a clearly he's injured, right? But he also seemed to have mentally not checked out, but he just seemed. Um, thrown off mentally. You saw it, right? He wasn't making good decisions. It's okay to be injured. And he, and he deserves so much credit because especially the performance he's put on at the beginning of the playoffs and the first two games of the series were, were fantastic. You know, the, the, he was playing better than anyone else, I think, in the NBA in the postseason. Um, the need for the knee injury or something else happened yesterday, which they reported on, on the broadcast. Um, and you saw it like he wasn't making good decisions. He was throwing lazy passes. He was arguing fouls, not getting back on defense. He was taking lazy jumpers, um, which, again, if you don't have it, that's fine. But you have to figure out other ways to contribute. So it's probably not taking an 18-footer with 18 seconds left on the shot clock, right? Um, that part, yeah, the second half, I mean, it was weird. Ben Simmons stopped being aggressive in the first half. He was fantastic. And you saw, you know, the guy that Doc Rivers is always talking about, you know, you guys only pay attention to the points, and he's actually this really good offensive player who contributes in all these different ways. And sometimes that's true, and that was true in the first half, but it's rare for Ben Simmons. He doesn't do that usually for four quarters in a game. He disappeared, and uh, so between Simmons and Embiid, like, disappearing, it's just it's hard to win. And it kind of goes back to the next conversation and, you know, some of the Buck struggles early on. It's just it's hard to win the NBA playoffs if your one or two best players aren't scoring or aren't creating shots, right? It's just really hard. You mentioned, you know, that Bucks Nets series. Whoever loses, it's going to have to answer questions, figure out what to do after the season's over. If the Sixers lose to the Hawks in the second round, like, what does their off season look like? Yeah, I'm fascinated by that as well. Um, and obviously, the question—it's been that you know—the question around that is usually the Ben Simmons question, right? Um, because if you look at them, like, where else do you make upgrades? I guess they could try to consolidate some of their young guys, like Maxi and Tyable and Shake Milton, for an upgrade. Um, I still go back to. I'm a little surprised, and I think we might look back and see it as a mistake that they didn't go in on the, on a Kyle Lowry trade, even if they might have had to give up a lot. Because we're gonna we're seeing it now, right? Like the, there's a lane open, there's an opportunity here. Like the, the championship window is open, right, for any of these teams to kind of jump in and pounce. Um, and I think we might look back and say that was a mistake that they didn't put in whatever they needed to to get Kyle Lowry, even if it might have been a bit of an overpay. So yeah, for your question, I mean. I'll be fascinated. We know Daryl Morey is not somebody to just sit back, right, and be passive. 
um, a year in where he would have had um, a year to fully evaluate the roster from the from an inside insider's perspective. Um, an inside view is a uh, is yeah, it's really interesting. So the Simmons conversation, you think about Portland and what's going on there with Damian Lillard, and just, it seems like there's some Bradley Beal stuff. It just it seems like we could see at the least Simmons in. And I'm, I'm not reporting this; I'm just guessing, right? But we could see some Simmons. We'll see some trade rumors, but some things where, okay, the Sixers are seriously considering this. I mean, we, we know, and James Harden, you won't find a player who Daryl Morey likes more than he likes James Harden, but we know he was willing to trade him in for Harden. So I just wonder how far down the line that goes. All right, you wrote a story about Rajon Rondo and his cookies. Yes, um, this is the entire reason I was excited. <laughs> so, all right, first off, uh, so Rondo, he bakes cookies, or his personal chef bakes cookies that he takes for the team flight for his teammates to eat. And they are apparently delicious cookies. Uh, were you surprised that Danny green was the player described as the cookie monster? I was a little surprised. Yeah. I got to, uh, I got, I got to admit, well, I mean, <laughs> nothing surprised me more. It's like Rajon Rondo carrying a, uh, you know, we look at him as like grumpy Rajon Rondo um, carrying a box of Tupperware of like warm, mushy, delicious chocolate chip cookies and handing them out like he's a soccer mom. Right. So that part, <laughs> that part surprised me the most. But yes, Danny Green um, being described as a cookie monster surprised me. Kyle Kuzma saying he has two or three every trip did not. <laughs> so I got to say, I'll, I'll add, Jared Dudley saying, he, no offense to Jared Dudley, and I, maybe I'm being taking a pot shot here, no pun intended, but you know, Jared Dudley not, not being at the top of the list of guys who ate the cookies, that also <laughs> surprised me. <laughs> I do have an important question, because you talked to the chef, right, Juliana Miller? Yes. So... Shouldn't she, as a uh, personal chef, not be teaching Rondo how to bake these cookies because then she could end up out of a job? It's funny you said that. I was wondering this because she let me publish the recipe too, right? But I guess, you know, we all done it too. You know, somehow they never come out the same when we, on any recipe, right? When we, you know, you, you watch Food Network or you do whatever you do and you take the recipe or you Google it and yet it doesn't seem to ever come out the same. So I, uh, I was wondering that as well, if this is like some magic, ch- no, again, no pun intended, but a magic chocolate chip cookie recipe that, um, <laughs> or maybe she didn't leave out some of the magic ingredients that are put into the players. I don't know. Um, but some recipe that, yeah, I was wondering that, but I guess, I guess she's betting on a banking on her own skills, being able to elevate above the rest of us. Well, that's probably fair. Um, all right. Last one for you. Do you think Becky Hammond gets hired this off season? <laughs> uh, I do not think Aww. so. Um, I, I mean, again, I don't know. I, I, the Becky Hammond conversation is a tough one. Um, I, 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 I don't know. I'm, uh, some of that stuff is weird and confusing coming out of San Antonio, even like when Greg Popovich last year makes Tim Duncan the coach when he deggled out for time instead of Becky Hammond. Um, yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see what, how this plays out with her. And I do wonder if she ends up deciding to go to Division One. I, I don't know, but just going to Division One at some point and showing she can be a head coach before coming back to the NBA, maybe. Well, he is Jerome Weitzman from Fox Sports. We always appreciate it. Thanks, Jerome. Thanks, guys. Rajon Rondo and cookies. It is genuinely like, I don't know. It's just like, they're just like me. Imagine like he got traded from the Hawks. Uh, well, I guess the Hawks didn't get to have his cookies because of the pandemic. Because he didn't. Part of the story was rondo's teammates went like a year without getting to eat the cookies because there was a pandemic and you couldn't share food on team flights but imagine like rondo gets traded away from your team and you're devastated as a teammate damn no more cookies yeah just no like that's 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 that would be my first if i loved the cookies that would be my first thoughts no coach we 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 can't trade him
No. <laughs> Come on. So who's who's the better GM? Bob Volgaris <laughs> or the guy who's only worried about the cookies on the team flight after the game? I mean, when did I become a GM? Because yeah, well, I would be right the now. guy going, like, I would be the guy going, you don't understand. He's a glue guy. He brings the cookies <laughs> on the flight. All right, here we go. We got a good giveaway for you right now. Winner will get a Golden Knights hat and a two-foot sub from Porta Subs, and you'll be qualified to get two tickets to go to Golden Knights Canadians Game 2 on Wednesday at T-Mobile Arena. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. 702-364-1100 is the phone number. We'll take caller number 11. You'll get a Golden Knights hat. Two foot sub from Porta Subs and be qualified to win a pair of tickets to game two between the Golden Knights and Canadians. 702-364-1100. Is Tyler a know-it-all? Can you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Live from the place of all the land, Henderson, Las Vegas Journal Review columnist Ed Graney is about to give us his eye test. Who is big? Who is fast? Which media member asked for a selfie? Find out now. Congratulations to Michael. He's qualified to win a pair of tickets to go see the Golden Knights and Canadians in game two, plus one a Golden Knights hat and a two-foot sub from Porta Subs. We will have that same exact giveaway later in the show, so make sure you stay tuned. Joining us now, live from Raiders minicamp, is Ed Graney. Ed, who's fast and who's big? Oh, it's tough to be out here, Tyler. It's very hot. I'm trying <laughs> to see. I don't know who's fast and who's big, but I'll tell you what. There's nothing like watching a uh, cone drill with his fast speed like Nathan Peterman. He is getting through those cones <laughs> like I've never seen him. So he's he's a little Derek Carr action now with a fake hand. Oh, wait, wait, here's Mariota. Let's see. Oh, there's nothing to fake like Mariota. So, no, uh, there's not much. I mean, it's only 15 minutes in. we got to see some good stretching. Stretching was good. And uh, the only thing that matters, I think, to them is everyone's here in Gawkway, Josh Jacobs, Clinton Jefferson, everyone who wasn't a volunteer, you're out here. Mike Mayock sporting the Golden Knights hat. Front runners here at the Raiders Stadium. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, all good. And there's music. The, the biggest story right now is what, the, what music is, you know, what songs are playing. So Sam Gordon, I think, is running the music out here. He's, he's Sammy. I saw Sammy a few times, like, bopping up and down, a little dancing. So uh, there's a horn. I don't know what that means right now. So, yeah, good, good times. Wait, so Nathan Peterman's actually allowed to practice with the other offensive players now? Yes. You know, they put six cones drills, and they have to move their feet through them, and I think he might have been the best of the three. Uh-oh. At that point, I, th- I don't even think Carr was involved at that point. He walked away because Nathan Peterman was doing his drill. Uh, so, yeah, um, like I said, it's only 15 minutes in. It's hot. Um, Leatherwood's <laughs> it's out hot. here, the big, man, the big man. Leatherwood's got his helmet off right now. I think that's a no-no with Tom Cable, so he better put that helmet on real fast. Oh, you know Tom Cable's rules better than Alex Leatherwood? Yeah, well, there's an issue there, but I might. <laughs> I, got, I, did, I was told this morning, which was interesting, because I think the Golden Knights, someone said when Waller rang the siren, they lost. I thought they won everything, but they've won like four or five in a row. But I was told the biggest Golden Knights fan on the team is Tom Cable. He's at all the games. He's like a complete uh, crazy person. So maybe they should have that guy I mean, ringing the siren. He's He's got some, some crazy person in his past, so yeah. Well, <laughs> next question. He's, he's he's the one that would beat Marcus Arroyo, right? Like we've talked oh, about yeah. this. Well, Nobody's yeah. getting Arroyo. He's a line coach. He would feel if he doesn't break the siren completely, then he didn't do his job. Right. He would absolutely break. He would absolutely 
Marcus Arroyo. It's Opposite on, line in a fell coach, yeah. It's, it's on a little cart, isn't it? He would pick it up off the cart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he would pick it up and like slam his head with it and like start screaming and blood would be coming down his face. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, smash it against the ground like it's a guitar or something like that. Absolutely. Yeah, Spike absolutely. it. Yeah. And he'll he'll A have the best siren crank ever and B make sure there's no one to ever beat him because he'll destroy the siren and they can't do it anymore. Guys, I just saw Peterman overthrow a five yard out. <laughs> this isn't good. It's not happening for him. Hold on, here comes Big Mariota. Let me see his good play by play here. Uh, the perfect pass. Come on. Oh, yeah. quarterback oh, controversy. Yeah. Mariota's <laughs> going to be the starter. This is, this is good stuff evaluating. This is Ed good Grady stuff. reporting live that Marcus Mariota <laughs> is looking good at yeah, five-yard out good routes. good at practice. Here's Peterman <laughs> back in the pocket. Uh, oh, my gosh. He threw that one behind him. Peterman might be uh, he might be done by, like, noon today. I mean, this kid uh, back-to-back throws. Not good. <laughs> and these are both five-yard out routes? These are literally five-yard outs. Good. Where's I mean, Derek Carr's yeah. not doing it? Uh, no, he's doing it. He's about to oh, throw okay. one right now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, the five yard out. He's uh, he's okay. perfect. I mean, we just, I, I mean, did. that's his bread and butter. We yeah, just didn't get a breakdown of Derek Carr's throwing. We got the other two. I was worried he wasn't there. Yeah. No, you got it. Everyone's out here. Everyone's looking good, uh, which means nothing. They're in shorts and uh, helmets, and uh, it's a little hot. Got uh, all the media out here. Very excited media out here. Long line of media to uh, come on out to the. Uh, out to the uh, ballpark here at the uh, facility. So, yeah, it's uh, going well. I really have nothing to say to you because for 15 minutes, I don't know what they've really done except a couple drills and stretch. It was a good stretch. If they if they play like they stretch today, I'm thinking 10 and 7. <laughs> if they can play like I saw them stretching today, uh, we're, we're talking maybe double-digit wins. Is John Gruden talking to the media today? No. Oh, <laughs> no. Come on. Is he talking tomorrow? We haven't seen the list, if oh. not, but he's got to talk tomorrow. I was talking about a few of the beat writers. He's got to. I mean, they've even asked him, like, what's the deal? Like, oh, you know, I mean, I, I, you know, his thing is, you know, got to learn the team. You know, what am I going to say that three months from now will, will matter? It's like, well, you are the head coach. I, the thing about him is, I don't know about you guys, but I've seen a ton of head coaches, you know, on ESPN and stuff. Like, they go to all these camps, and they're all talking. So I, I don't know. I imagine he's going to talk tomorrow, though. I'll be shocked if he doesn't talk tomorrow. He hasn't talked at all he didn't talk to the draft, didn't talk to the voluntary, so I'd be shocked if he doesn't talk tomorrow. Just yell at him. Are you bringing Kelsey Plum out to practice? <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we were very disappointed. Friday, we'll have to give her a hard time. It was Cassie Soto's job to bring donuts. She failed. Nothing. She she didn't. She was too worried about her dog now at 35 million hits. And by the way, she's now receiving money via Venmo about this thing. They're now sending her money. A company sent her $80 in Venmo the other day to buy their products for the dog to see if he likes them. This is where we've gone with this. I am proud of Cassie, yeah. but I am. You, there are two different stories there. Very proud of her for turning Archie into some money, but very disappointed she forgot donuts. That is a that yeah, is a critical not. mistake. It's a fireable yeah, mistake, good. honestly. Yeah. Cassie, you forgot the donuts. Yeah, look at her. She's, look at her. She just turned away from me. She just turned away from me. She said, she, now she's blaming Heidi Fang. Yes, yeah, okay. so we're on the we're on the air live. Come so on. this is phenomenal because we can hear Hi, Cassie everyone. yelling in the background. Cassie, you forgot the donuts. We got yeah. thirty seconds. That's perfectly fine. We can yell at Cassie about forgetting donuts. How did you forget the donuts? Hold on, she's coming. Hey, Tyler, did you see Archie's at 35 million views now? You forgot the donuts. We'll get to Archie later. Where are the donuts? I asked my colleague, Heidi Fang. I literally texted her. I'll show up the text message right now. I said, said, should I bring donuts or is that lame? And she goes, honestly, I wouldn't. So I'm looking to Heidi. 
All Cassie does is blame Heidi Fang. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Cassie. Bye. We'll talk to you in about two hours, well, Ed. Well, fellas, that was great radio. I'll talk to you at 9.15. <laughs> See you later. Bye.